Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What constitutes proof that a paranormal event actually took place? How reliable are eyewitnesses? In the case of the Bridgeport Poltergeist of 1974, did the kid do it? Hey there, and welcome to the uh, 549th edition. I don't know why I almost said 5, because that's definitely a 9. So 549th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those haunting questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So uh, this evening, we welcome back a good friend and uh, on a subject that, you will, uh, that you'll be hearing about, if you haven't heard already. Uh, we will welcome your calls this evening, of course. The numbers are 401-766-1240 locally, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. William J. Hall was born and raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and saw reports about what I call the Bridgeport Poltergeist outbreak of 1974 on television when he was 10 years old. Also known as the Lindley Street Haunting, it became the talk of the city and much of the world for months. Bill is a magician experienced in researching the unexplained. His syndicated 1990s column, Magic and the Unknown, ran for six years in multiple local papers in Connecticut. He is a member of the Society of American Magicians Psychic Investigation Committee. His bio says, quote, Bill has vast experience in how one could haunt their house, as well as experience in how a false psychic could wow even the most sophisticated of spectators. The true, ha- the true haunting of Lin- 966 Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut was one paranormal incident that stuck in his mind. After peeling back the layers and obtaining more evidence than ever before, there finally is adequate information to find out what really happened at Lindley Street, unquote. Bill's website is www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com So Bill Hall, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Ah, it's great to be back. I can't well, believe this the date has finally come. Indeed, yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Long in the planning, and when exactly was the book released? Uh, well, the the formal release date is today. So, uh, <laughs> oh, well, well, perfect. Well, we're honored. That was exactly yeah. the right day. Thank you for spending your day with us. Yes, indeed. Instead of with your book. Yeah, they actually released it uh, probably early, which... Um, are you there, Bill? Yes. Oh, okay. Hear me? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, was... Breaking up a little bit. Yeah, it's funny, it's a landline, too. Anyway, so yeah. Ben's going to take us away right. on his magic carpet of questions. Yes, and it is truly magical, especially because uh, maybe some people aren't quite familiar with the case, so can you give uh, a quick background? Yes. <clears throat> there was a, a tiny little bungalow in downtown Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, lower-income neighborhood, box from the hospital, Father was a maintenance worker, Jerry Gooden, and Laura Gooden, his wife, adopted, adopted Marcia. Adopted Little daughter, t- Marcia. Yeah, you do seem to be breaking up. This is a landline, isn't it? Uh, but it's never broken up like oh breaking my gosh. up on your end. Well, the, well the, somebody in uh, power must think we're talking about UFOs tonight. That's why they're interfering. <laughs> Yeah, it really does happen. But anyway, well, go, just go ahead, and we'll just uh, ask for clarification if you start breaking up. So, yeah, the Laura Gooden, um, Mister and, uh, uh, yeah, and Mar, yeah, and uh, the little girl Marcia, right, who was adopted. Okay, we got that. And uh, shortly after they adopt, holy begin happening. 
certainly after they adopted. Ben, you want to try to make this call again? Yes, please. Okay. So take it away. Okay. Uh, well, since I was there, I will continue. Ben, uh, Bill, rather, we're going to uh, hang up here. We're going to, Ben's going to call you back. But I, I'll continue the narrative since I was there. All right. Very good. Okay, so in any case, uh, this uh, the young girl. They had the, the couple had lost their son. Uh, the story is in is in Bill's book. It's very very sad. I had not heard much of it myself uh, when I was involved in the case all those years, forty years ago this year. And uh, a lot of people said, well, paranormal things began to occur because the boy was jealous and all this business. I don't believe that nonsense. Uh, so the little girl uh, was uh, an Iroquois child from Canada who came in. She was, uh, I believe, nine years old when she was adopted. And, uh, again, the city of Bridgeport, small house, very small house, which is, uh, features in one of our questions. And strange things began to happen as soon as this uh, little girl came to live and, uh, with them. And uh, Bill will continue the story because we have him back on the line. No, we, don't. we don't. Okay. Well, uh, strange things started to happen. Again, this is um, uh, early 1970s. And uh, there would be poundings on the walls and certain things would happen. And some of the people thought Marcy was a little strange. When I was there, I found her... I was working with Ed Lorraine Warren at the time, and I found her to be a very uh, sweet child, but kind of, you know, like any child, uh, some not-so-great characteristics, uh, and we'll get into those later on. Now, uh, my involvement came when I was um, simply uh, on my way down to, uh, to see Ed and Lorraine Warren. I was, uh, I was home from the seminary. I was studying for the priesthood at the time, home from the seminary for a Thanksgiving vacation, and it was the uh, November 24, 1974. And uh, I guess we have our guest back. Okay. Oh, Bill, are you back with us? Yes. Did you finish everything? Are we done? Uh, no, no. Yes, I talked. The whole thing, uh, you, you can I go have not. supper now. The show's over. Okay. Yeah, the show's over. All right. So uh, you, you had begun to, I, I just briefly went through the things that started to happen as soon as Marcy arrived, and uh, why don't you take it from there? Uh, did you talk about the banging noises? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. And... Uh, then uh, it uh, culminated when they went away and came back and found a TV uh, place and uh, put it back and fell again, disconnected it, and then uh, things started to go crazy, and they ended up uh, getting uh, their neighbor and friend police officer to come over uh, across the street and uh, uh, go in the house. And actually, I have a bit to play um, to have Officer John Holsworth explained uh, that very uh, incident and what happened. If you'd like to hear it, yeah, sounds good. Well, no, it'll no. sound. It won't sound that good. Oh, well, you're the sound expert. Um, it's it's been playing okay so far, but I, you know, well, I mean, it's coming over a phone too. Yeah, we, we kind of have to have it as an MP3 and play it through the system. Is that Wave file. Right, well, what? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning from my son here about sound. Uh, oh no, okay, okay. So we've well, next rule. time you're on, th- th- this is. Um, yeah, well, this, this well, yeah. Ne- ne- next time, third <laughs> of many occasions you'll be on. And Indeed, we'll uh, we'll be prepared. So we, for that. we can get everything prepared ahead of time. So such. John Holsworth, police officer, right? And uh, so, uh, yeah. so are we up to? We're up to the weekend, the big weekend, right? Right, right. Yeah, I'm just uh, you know, of course, giving a quick overview. Sure. So 23rd, <laughs> yeah, 24th of November, 1974. Yeah, and he comes in, and he doesn't know what was going on because uh, there was stuff all over the place. And um, and he saw the refrigerator um, float, and he saw uh, TV moved, and he put it back, and it moved again. 
and um, he saw uh, TVs opening and closing, uh, not TV, the uh, heavy 1970 recliners opening and closing, and uh, the family was all on the porch. So he was, uh, he didn't know what to do, so he called for backup. And uh, backup came, and of course more things happened, and the police didn't know what to do, so they called the firemen, and uh, 12 firemen show up. They didn't know what to do, and so they called the uh, priest chaplain, and uh, and that was Father Doyle, and he showed up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then from there it goes on, and uh, then a neighbor had seen the Warrens and called uh, the Warrens, and uh, Paulino had a flat tire, and and <laughs> that's how you came. <laughs> you guys all... Well, the Warrens, being Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, made famous recently. They were they were known pretty well on the East Coast, but made uh, pretty well fam- famous uh, mo- most recently by the Conjuring film, which you may or may not have seen. People, so well, I mean, anyway. a lot of other things too, Amityville Horror and all that. Oh, yeah, Amityville Horror, absolutely. Yeah, they they were they were big. They were the first. I guess the grandfather and grandmother of modern, quote, ghost hunters, unquote, I think. Indeed. So, so did you um, come into this case, You well, you came into investing a bill as, as sort of uh, a skeptic, and you walked in with the assumption that it was a hoax, correct? Uh, yes. So where did yep. you, so what, what convinced you that it was real? Uh, I would say probably about 22 hours into 30 hours of interviews, uh, it became... 100% in my mind, beyond a shadow of a doubt, real. And uh, that was after listening to, uh, and the reason I say 22 hours is because the real to real had to be converted, and that's where all the police officers, or at least additional police officers were on there, all the interviews that were taken at the police station. And after listening to all those uh, witnesses, um, it, you know, th- there was no question. It's It's those little details that would have never been, uh, properly explained, and for good reason, the newspaper anyhow, because uh, it's all surface level, and when you get the synopsis, it's really hard to, you know, make any sort of real judgment from that. It just led to more questions, uh, but it certainly gave it, um, gave me, you know, the impression that it was definitely worthy uh, of investigation. I always had, uh, yeah, I was never completely close-minded, but I did expect, uh, as I think everybody should, that that, that uh, you know they're not real until proven you know uh, until proven um, to be real. I mean, unless it, it's somebody like you guys who has experience and you know can instantly make those kind of indicators and connections, which in a case like this I couldn't because I wasn't there. So uh, you know I needed that level of detail. Hmm. It makes you feel any better. I wasn't there either. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, was. sorry, Dan. <laughs> it was uh, what that was eight, twenty-eight years before you were born. Uh, if yeah, yeah maybe longer. Yeah. yeah. How long did it take you, Ben, to believe your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Takes me a while. <laughs> yeah, he gave me the lie detector test. Indeed. Uh, so, one thing that strikes many people is that so much could happen in, in such a tiny place. I mean, even you you said there's just a little tiny bungalow, like what, like four rooms, not even. And right. actually, sorry, three rooms, I should say. So, have you run into any of that? People saying, "Well, how much could the, how how much could happen in this small space?" And and what would you respond to uh, some sort of comments like that? Um, no, actually, nobody had said that. Um, what what one of the police officers said that didn't believe it was uh, it, it would be easy to do something like that uh, in a house uh, very small and crowded. 
uh, which you know, which would have been correct uh, if the details matched up. But you know, of course, you know there was no. Um, you, you didn't have to prove details if you're on the if you're on the hoax side. You know what I mean. You only have yeah. to prove it if you're on the real side. So it's just a generic statement, which you know, which could be true, but in this case, you know, was not because when you look at the you know the evidence and what happened, then it's uh, it's obvious it can't be that. But actually, nobody did say that. They thought the opposite that it would be harder to pull off something uh, if you're sitting in a sofa in, in a tiny place like that. So as a magician, I would say it's probably less relevant, whether it's small or big. Um, well, we had one, you know, I know Ben's got another question. We had one guest, uh, gee, several number of years ago. Now, Wasn't that guy that wrote that book saying that the whole thing was a hoax? No, he wrote an article. Article suggesting this, and uh, we had him on the show, and he's from the area, and uh, it's I believe I think he's involved with the uh, I think it's the Creepy Connecticut website, and uh, very um, uh, you know military veteran, very, very no nonsense sort of fellow. We had a, we ended up having a very pleasant conversation, but when he first came on, he he said you know looking at the size of that house, how could it, all this stuff have happened in there? And I said I asked him outright, are you calling me a liar? He said, I'm probably not calling anybody a liar. He said, in that situation, you know, maybe a TV just sort of fell off the shelf. Maybe somebody knocked it over. And, you know, the usual stuff. But I said to him what I say to all critics, you weren't there. I was there. Right. You know, I saw this. And uh, nothing of that kind happened. So anyway, we ended up having a very pleasant conversation. But that uh, has sometimes come up in my discussions about the size of the place. Yeah, I mean, without, you know, and again, and, and I've been guilty of that in, in the past, too, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, the magician size to me, um, hate to use a pun, but size doesn't matter. You know, small, <laughs> big, you know, right. you, could, you, you could use the space to your advantage, whether it's, you know, large room, small room, doesn't matter. Uh, what really mattered is, you know, you had policemen and firemen staring at uh, Marcia while she's sitting with her legs under her and her, her hands on her. Um, legs and you know the chair flips. That's that's yeah. what really matters. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the floating refrigerator, things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, creepy stuff like that. But you you interviewed many 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 people, and as you know, my dad and I like to look at things in the long long term. And I'm kind of curious as to how this case affected their lives. Um, you know, for some, uh, and and I did ask them that. And uh, and I think Boyce even asked uh, them that. Well, I know he did uh, quite a few times. I don't know if he asked it every time, but I think it was one of his questions. You know, what are your yeah, thoughts? A, a Boyce, Boyce Beatty of what Boyce Beatty, the lead uh, investigator. Spiritual Frontiers Fellowship. He uh, led an investigation after we were there. Yeah, and, you know, let me tell you, um, I, I can't thank him enough because the way he asked those questions um, uh, were very, very important. Uh, because as a magician, if he just said, you know, what happened, the table flipped, wow, that's interesting, and went on, uh, without getting the very detail of what exactly did you see in minute detail, based on speed, what lifted up first, where were you, where was everybody else, without that kind of detail, um, you know, it's very difficult uh, for somebody from the outside to listen to the, the, the items, uh, even if you believe it's real, to really understand what happened. Uh, without that detail, is uh, is. Oh, no, I remember him interviewing me. He was a very good, very good interviewer, and uh, that was several years before I became a journalist. So, he yeah, <laughs> asked me yeah, even, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, he he was uh, very good with that. And uh, I, you know, for some people, it uh, it didn't impact them at all. You know, they don't think about it, which I don't even know how that could be. Um, and other people, like uh, the first responding police officer uh, to the scene, you know, that was from called, you know, Joe Tomic uh, and Carly Elmsey, but you know, Joe was one of the first responders. You know, he told me he said hardly a you know day goes by that I, doesn't cross my mind. And when I'm whenever I'm visiting family in Connecticut, I have to drive by the house. You know, wow. so yeah. you know, for somebody like him, uh, it impacted his life. Uh, you know, forever. You know, you know, and uh, and there were a lot of people that it impacted. Um, you know, the the little girl at the time who played with uh, Marcia. You know, when the couch went up. You know, Rosemary. Uh, it definitely impacted her her life, uh, and it's still impacting her life uh, now. Uh, when I interviewed her and other people, were just just said, you know, and occasionally comes up and they just shake their head. But you know, um, so it, it is interesting. It, it runs the whole gamut from you know, I really don't think about it, not a big deal, and you know, and I asked them several times, really, you don't think <laughs> you don't think about it, or oh, no, it doesn't bother. <laughs> you know, and then other other people was you know, it was a very profound. Uh, experience. I mean, one of the police officers um, during one of the interviews started crying. I mean, it was, you know, so people did have a whole range of experience. You know, one of the firemen said uh, said it was just uh, something to behold, and he said, frankly, he doesn't care if it's real, a hoax, a science, a spirit. He said it was just a wonderful thing to behold, uh, just something very unusual you'd never see again in your life. And he was happy at that. He didn't care, uh, you know, what it was. He just yeah. thought it was amazing. So it really ran the whole gamut, you know, from life-changing to I don't really think about it. <laughs> you know? Well, I remember one, uh, and, I, and I've, I, you and I have talked about this before, but when, when I wrote my book, Foot, I should say Faces at the Window, and published 1998, and it had a chapter about this case from my perspective and I was doing a book signing in Warwick, Rhode Island and there was a at a Barnes and Noble and a woman came up to me and said that you know her father had been a Bridgeport firefighter in 1974 and he had been in this house and I guess he might have been one of the guys standing there when the refrigerator started floating and he and she said that they could not find him for it was either two or three days and it turns out that he had gone home, taken the rest of the day off, and had had hidden in the attic apartment of their garage. And he was afraid to come out <laughs> because of what he'd seen. So she said, she, and she always remembered that. She was a little girl at the time and uh, had wanted to come to meet me to, and, and get the book. And, and that was, um, I don't know. That, so I guess, as you say, it depends on who it was and wh- what they saw and what was going on. Um, oh, right. And how many how many witnesses to this case would you say there are? Uh, well, I oh, alone because many of them are not with us anymore. Right, right. Um, just uh, from my interviews alone, over seventy, and I'm sure that there are many, many more. You know, there there could be three, four, five times that amount, you know. Yeah. Um, there's things still coming out of the woodwork, you know, no new information, but people uh, who were touched by Lindley Street in some way, um, you know, like the lady who worked, worked in the records department, the police department, and, you know, just other people who were, you know, uh, a police officer didn't see things himself, but it 
you know, heard heard and talked to and, and saw what was going on at the station. And, you know, all sorts of people were touched by it the different ways. As far as direct people who saw things happen, I still think it, it's got to be over over 100 yeah. easily. Uh, and, well, and from the crowd outside, I estimated there probably were a few hundred that saw the swans move at, at one point in time. Obviously, I'm not counting you know, people towards yeah. the back who wouldn't be able to see it. But, um, in fact, the lady, Valir, who uh, wrote the, the forward to the book and who did the first post that got everything started, uh, she saw the swans move. Hmm. Um, and the police yeah, that's reported... That's one thing I didn't see. Yeah, well, and you probably wouldn't because I would imagine you probably were on the inside of the house. Yeah, I was house. inside, yeah. Well, yeah. Like I remember people saying, <clears throat> and there were... Um, well, Ed Warren told me up to 10,000 people gathered outside the house uh, but you know he he tended to kind of exaggerate a little uh but it was probably more like as you say you know, 2,000 or maybe up but i know that on monday night when i pulled everybody out after that really scary incident that changed my life which was the, the encounter with the what i believe were four entities and sort of a physical pushing shoving match i had with one I uh, pulled everybody out, and the police. There were enough people for the police to cordon off the street, which was a good thing because we all came barreling out of the house. And if there had been a crowd there, it would have been really a mess. So, in any case, um, how many people would you say were outside at any given time during the the, the, the three day period that that went on, or maybe more? Right, right. Uh, during the height of it, there there was about two thousand, and you know, what was really cool is Joe Thomas when he was he sent me some photos up the street and explain to me where the crowd was and how they went wow. you know what direction because you see you see the basic crowd photo you know in, in the newspaper with the iconic photo that you know in the book and on the back cover and of course was in the one around the AP wire photo that went around the world mm. um, but he showed uh, the street going the other way and and how far back the crowd was and I thought that was uh that was a really cool thing for him to do, and it really gave me an impression of, you know, how the people were lined up. Uh, most newspapers estimated it, it, they would say, over 2,000. There was one newspaper that said, you know, about 10,000 that probably is, and I even put a, a note in the book that, you know, for the newspaper, because I, I think that probably was uh, uh, was going overboard. Um, yeah. Because, because the police, of course, was chasing people out of there. And then, of course, I'm sure there was times there probably were only a few hundred there, you know, yeah, depending yeah. on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and depending on the day, like Thanksgiving, of course, is one of the days. And, you know, uh, some of the nights were extra cold or whatever. So, you know, you had the, the crowd uh, waned and, um, and expanded uh, during that. But definitely at the height, uh, there definitely probably there were you know there were diehards that uh, that were in the hundreds that uh, uh, stayed vigil there, and then there were uh, you know the uh, group of people that surrounded where it was you know at its height to uh, you know a little over two thousand. Well, let me give our phone numbers again. I always forget to do that. Uh, locally here in Northern Rhode Island, four zero one seven six six one two four zero. Anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. If you'd like to talk. To us, or Bill Hall, author of the book, The World's Most Haunted House, a case I was involved with myself in 1974, and a lot, a lot and quite a few other people as well, including police officers and firefighters, certainly a unique uh, case in many ways. Uh, one thing I remember, Bill, I, I was always wondering, what, what does the crowd expect to see out there? But one 
Uh, I later heard a person who told me that, uh, well, people were kind of discussing, gee, would would uh, I or Father Bill Charbonneau come flying out the window like the priest did in The Exorcist? Because, you know, <laughs> that's where people yeah. get their knowledge. Hollywood, you know, and yeah. The Exorcist had just come out, the, the film of uh, the previous December, and everybody was still talking about it, and I think that was largely responsible for the paranoia in the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And, we, and the Warrens and I and Father Bill Charbonneau, who was a priest of the Archdiocese of Hartford, which was not where that was, Bridgeport, were waiting for the Diocese of Bridgeport, the Bishop of Bridgeport, to come down and authorize an exorcism of the house. Okay? Now today, you know, my whole point of view is different on that, but that's what we were waiting for. So uh, there you have it. You know, Bill, what, do you have any comment on that? Did you find out anything about goings-on in the uh, Diocese of Bridgeport? Um, nothing other than I, I think it was pretty obvious that um, uh, they would not want to get involved in anything no. that was that public like that. I mean, if it wasn't that public, I think, you know, maybe there would have been a chance. Um, but, you know, the, the Goodins weren't, uh, you know, they really didn't want, and I don't know if you came across this, but, you know, witnesses pointed out that they they really didn't want cameras and all that stuff. So I think, uh, you know, um, the Warrens probably would have, uh, you know, set up more equipment. This is my thought. Maybe not initially, but, uh, you know, with what was happening and, and the crowd situation and, and all of that, um, you know, it wasn't going to be that kind of thing where you're going to be able to gather the type of edit evidence that they would want anyhow. And I, I don't think you'd be able to. I mean, with all those people, it's just... Yeah, I, well, I think they just Ed, wanted to go away, too. Well, exactly. Ed Warren's policy at the time, as I remember it, was was to record things like that and take photographs of it. You know, and, and video at the time was not common. You know, it was the cameras were large and bulky and right, pretty much owned right. by television stations. So. Until the Bolex came out. Right. Well, that was, was way after. Way, way after. after, yeah. So again, we were in back, way back in the deepest, darkest 20th century here, hmm. technologically. So, um, but but I uh, I think that he um, you had it been less public because the media was all over this and that's which is oh, ironic. Yeah. I Ben and I never permit that in cases because nope. you know here I've been a member of the press for thirty five years after they threw me out of the seminary for being involved in the paranormal or paranormal research. I ended up a journalist and there you go. Couldn't do it. Um, wouldn't have the press anywhere near it. So anyway, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back. Stay with us. The Extra Point. Afternoons on ON 1240 Radio, bringing you local interviews, stories, and opinions on the local athletes with none other than radio great Lou Mandeville. Yes, that's me. Afternoons Monday through Friday on ON 1240 Okay, and before we return to our fascinating discussion of the Bridgeport Poltergeist, I just wanted to remind you of several of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, one, of course, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Uh, wonderful work being done out there by Tony Luray and, uh, some, and, and his great staff. And again, the idea being to help at-risk youth using ancient wisdom. Now, this is not some kind of crazy occult thing. They don't do anything like that. But they use uh, the wisdom of uh, many uh, ancient indigenous peoples that had very practical, who had very practical approaches to life. And uh, very often the approaches to life are very artificial in our time, so this really helps these people. Also, uh, locally, uh, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, the Rhode Island Builders Association, has a terrific subsidiary, nonprofit, 
group that uh, literally uh, donates uh, uh, remodeling services and construction services to the families of those who have been wounded or killed in the war on terror. So they're doing a great job uh, with that. Also, usacares.org and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Great organizations. Check them out, please. So let's get back to our fascinating guest, Bill Hall, author of the brand-new book, which just came out today, officially, The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. Okay, Bill, so uh, let me ask you something that, that I, uh, we discussed, have discussed previously but that fascinates Ben and I. One of the theories we depend on is that paranormal events never affect just one house or property. Now, back in 74, this didn't occur to me or pretty much anybody else, and it doesn't really occur to a lot of people today. We're about to present a program on Saturday in Exeter, New Hampshire, that's really going to blow the lid off a lot of this stuff because we have a fantastic case that you have helped uh, come in on somewhat in Connecticut, and uh, we're going to talk about that. We've got some amazing photos uh, you're going to be interested in seeing. Anyway... Uh, th- those things are always spread out over a larger area, sometimes many square miles in size. Now, you said that you uncovered other phenomena in the area at the time. Can you talk about that? Yeah, there were uh, there were a few houses that had uh, trouble on uh, Lindley Street, and uh, one of which is uh, uh, in detail in, in the book. Uh, the entity is very different, um, more you would call them a little lower level parasite. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, because it certainly wasn't the type of thing that the, the Goodens experienced. But I think that uh, that definitely shows, um, and, and I've been hearing about it more since, uh, you know, I learned it from you, Paul, but, uh, you know, I hear that the, the UFO community, as well as uh, certain members of the paranormal community or those that are interested in, in, in that sort of thing, are uh, seeing uh, the connection that... Um, that it's not separate silos and that the phenomena, uh, you know, you tend to see other phenomena in the same place. So there were... If there you were think to look, yeah. Right, right. There were three that I know of. My guess is, pro- you yeah, know, there are probably more, but, you know, um, uh, but the three I uncovered and uh, one of which I have the full story in there was yes. uh, a three-family house that was on uh, Lindley Street, uh, uh, not far from... Uh, the Goodens and uh, knew the Goodens well enough to you know, say hello when they're passing. He was in high school at the time, uh, Richard. So, um, so yeah, and I, and I know he went and talked to uh, the Warrens when you know, he went to see them and wanted to talk about the Lindley Street after, and and Ed said, uh, yeah, with that kind of thing, you you, you know, you could have some spillover, and yeah. you know, it probably will go away relatively soon, and you know, for him it did, you know, with the um, you know, a little help, but uh, uh, well, yeah, you have the uh, m- multiple, well, you might say parallel world intersects, as our friend Mark D'Antonio, the astronomer, would call it, and you can have seemingly unrelated phenomena, whether it be UFOs or whatever, or, or parasitical entities, as we call them, et cetera, et cetera, ghosts and all this business, uh, taking place in the same area, and, and the, the particular... Um, uh, manifestations might not necessarily be related, but they are all manifesting through the same process and are connected that way because they're, they're using the intersects. That's how we see it anyway. Now, one of the other things that comes up, too, is uh, a lot of people think that Marcy, when she was a dot, brought something with her. And we have encountered parasites that have followed families for 
generations. And we are wondering, maybe it's possible that Marcy had some connection, because, because ge- geography, terrestrial geography, doesn't make an awful lot of difference to these things, because they're kind of outside space and time in our sense. So um, I don't know, if there, has, has anyone else expressed an opinion on that besides myself? Uh, yes. Um, there, uh, people have come forward, you know, in messages and, and on some interviews, um, thinking perhaps it was a, a Native American connection and wondering if there was something more to Marcy's background or family that we don't know about, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, they were told she was tied to a chair and she was one of nine children and why was she the only one given up for adoption and, you know, what was really behind that and is that related uh, somehow uh, because of her uh, heritage. So there's uh, there, there's people who... Um, you know, have that Native American connection, kind of like the, the epilepsy uh, connection too, with the with the paranormal, which definitely isn't well proven just because of the numbers, but certainly is something that investigators have their eyes on because there appears to be, you know, potential, you know, significant correlation there. But that yeah. came up that maybe it had to do with that. Not that you know, not that her. her uh, heritage or where she comes from or evil people, but just that maybe it was, uh, you know, they see that correlation sometimes and wondered if that's, you know, if that was part of it. And then, of course, the other uh, being overbearing and withdrawn, overbearing parents. Yeah, the circumstances in the house. Yes. Yeah, negative, yeah. negative circumstances that would feed anything like that. Well, I know people often jump on the, the Native American thing. Aha, this must be a Native American burying ground and all this business. You know, I think that's overblown to a degree. Now, unfortunately, I didn't know the Iroquois. I knew them, so a lot of the Mohawks pretty well because the uh, Hogansburg, when I was in the seminary, the uh, Hogansburg, New York Reservation up there, Ben has rubbed elbows with the Navajo. And um, but the Iroquois, I don't, I don't really know anyone. Some of the Narragansetts I know here locally, but uh, Iroquois I haven't. So I really can't speak with any. Certainly, any any uh, knowledge or competence on on that situation or the family. I know that they are very positive people generally, as as they uh, most uh, most of the Native Americans are. I mean, they're earth centered and uh, very positive spirituality. And I've never had anything but good vibes, as we used to say in the seventies, from them. So, um, to, so that that's an open question, really. Uh, very often, um, might be something that happened within her family. I mean, if there is anything to this part of the story, but uh, there was a very negative situation in the house. Um, let me see here. I want to get okay before we burn up the hour. I want to because we have to. We have a contest during a three forty. Uh, I should say uh, six forty five Eastern time. Want to have you stay on the on the line, uh, Bill? While we do that, we just we, we just like to give people a nice round number on that. So in any case, um, tell us again about the book, websites, where people can get it, and events you have coming up. Oh yes, it's uh, called the world's most haunted house. True story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. Um, you can get it wherever fine and poor books are sold, uh, including Barnes and Noble, uh, in the stores, and also on the website, also Amazon, and from your uh, awesome independent booksellers, uh, also. And it's available in all forms. Uh, it is a page turner. Matter of fact, if you don't turn it the is. page, it's hard to read. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I've been told. Yeah, I've been told yeah, if you don't turn the page, it doesn't work. So. Uh, you know, it is, very, it is very well written. It is uh, a pleasure to read. It's well researched, and uh, we re- we receive free books here all the time at the station. And not that I would complain about that, but 
a lot of them I wouldn't use as doorstops, and there are reputable publishers publishing stuff that just that, that I, as a professional editor, would never have let go to press. You know, so and but this is you know, the world's most haunted house is not one of those. It is a fine book. It's well done. So uh, what do you have coming Thank up? Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Uh, yeah, just just to correct one thing, you mentioned that they were free books. Uh, you didn't get your bill. Oh, <laughs> actually, our guest last week was offering a free book on Kindle, but he's a rarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, event, events coming up. Well, September sixth, I'll be at the Paranormal Books and Curiosities uh, Store and Museum in Asbury Park, in New Jersey. And then September seventh, I will be at Barnes and Noble in Milford, which is thirteen miles from the very scene of the, the crime. And, uh, no, 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 I should say it's Milford, Connecticut, because we have Milford, Milford Mass near here, so yes, I don't want to confuse here. people. Yeah. And, Paul, are you going to be there September 7th? Well, uh, uh, I or we will make every effort to do so. I plan to be there now, cause I, if, if only to meet to see Boyce again after 40 years, you know. But uh, uh, we're, yeah. we're pushing the event for you. You know, I'm going to be website. Well, you know. good, I should hope so. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do hope, uh, you know, uh, Voice is, uh, is is up to it. Uh, not that he's sick or anything. I mean, he's probably in better shape than I am. But, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I'd, I'd love to have him come and, uh, you know, get the accolades he deserves. Everybody loves his uh, report in the book. And actually, your pages, uh, Paul, uh, everybody really loves the part the, that you wrote explaining uh you know the multiverse uh, theory and and stuff, and you, you become known as the twenty uh, one year old seminarian, which is uh, which is great. Because, yeah, so That's you're accurate. Still, um, yeah, I mean everybody just uh, you know refers to you as twenty one year old. So you're oh well, if they ever meet me face to face, although I'm not twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, time flies when you're having fun. You seem a little old right. for twenty one. Yeah, you're almost twenty one. What? No, I'm 22. I know, but you almost... You almost oh, oh, you're, ra- you're, oh, you're just, rounding just the down. Other side. Gosh, you're rounding down. You think I was 90. <laughs> My memory's not that bad. No, you're 21. But anyway, Bill, one of the things... And we're going to go to our uh, drawing in a few minutes, but one question I wanted to introduce was uh, the, the, uh, the, the galloping proliferation of misinformation in this and, and any other case especially when you have many, many people involved, speculating and this sort of thing. One of the, the ones I um, was uh, intrigued with was, was one I, I guess in a way I was responsible for, which was that the book, you know, the famous book. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. It, um, a, a reporter was trying to, uh, he was in the house and uh, relatively quickly, you know, ushered out and he, he saw a picture of uh, Paulino's prayer book there. Um, and I don't know if it's upside down and they thought it was an upside down cross or if he just had to make something up and, and didn't really care what it was. But, um, that became, uh, an occult book and saying that, you know, Marcy was always walking around with occult books and reading them, which is, you know, complete hogwash if you mm-hmm. just spent five minutes listening to the family or one minute, you know. No, it was ridiculous. complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah, just ridiculous. And then, uh, from there, you know, later on, uh, you know, when the police were saying uh, Marcy did it, uh, they repeated the occult thing. She was into the spiritual bag, and she was always carrying one of those occult books around with her. And I'm like, come on. Unbelievable. You know? uh, well, as a matter of fact, one police officer said, uh, uh, you know, I found it very strange that uh, uh, Marcy was reading a... Um, and these were those weekly readers. Uh, you know, I, I felt it was very strange she was reading... a 
um, uh, a thing is before Barbara Carter, a tutor, got there, and, and it had ghosts and stuff in it. And he thought he thought that was very suspicious, and <laughs> but it was the Weekly Reader and the last one that came out that came out, you know, and that she was had to review with her was she had her two Weekly Readers out, and one was from you know the the October issue, you know, with Halloween, you know, so I mean, it was just ridiculous stuff. Astounding. But, mm. Well, I remember well, that. Right, that no, no, go ahead. You no, know, I was going to say, you know, I'm amazed at just how much stuff has come out about me that's incorrect. And I'm, <laughs> who am I? You know, I mean, you know, the, 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 I went public with this uh, story relatively uh, recently. And, um, you know, and people have all sorts of uh, labels. I mean, some, some good, you know. I don't know if you knew I've been a paranormal expert all my life. Some oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't either. So, you know. But it's uh, yeah, just strange things uh, come out, and uh, and you know then you have to correct them. But uh, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of, a lot of rumors. You're right about about everything, and and you know it's funny because as a magician, uh, one of the things that you try to do in your act is you try to create and review an experience with the audience. By review is after they see it, you try to kind of tell them what they saw. And yes. you know that that's when you solidify the story they're going to tell to others, and um, you know Houdini was very good at that. And you know people went around saying Houdini did stuff he never did, and so you know I mean that's a brilliant part. So one of the experiences of magic is to have your recollection be even better than what you saw. No, exactly. You know, that's, yeah, well, one principle. So it's amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, stop you there for just a minute, Bill. Uh, we are going to have the drawing uh, for the. Um Experiencers Speak Conference at the Clarion Hotel and Conference Center in Portland, Maine on September 6th and 7th. This is a UFO conference focused on abductees, experiencers, and contactees. Anybody can attend, of course, and it will be very interesting. Organized by our good friend uh, Steve Fermani, who does a fabulous job of organizing these events. Uh, and you can find out about this at www.experiencersspeak.yolasite.com. So, Ben drew the last contest. I'm going to draw this one. See who the winner of the free tickets will be. Drum roll, please. All right. Uh, All right, right, what do we got? Okay, we have... Ann Woods. Does not say where she's from, but we have her contact information. We'll be contacting Ann Woods. Winner of the four tickets, family pack, to the Experiencer Speak Conference in Portland, Maine, next month. Congratulations, Congratulations, Ann. Congratulations, Ann. All right, very good. That's great. Uh, we will contact her this evening. Indeed. Very good. Okay, so let's... Uh, that didn't take long. <laughs> no, no, it was very quick. So uh, talking about that book again, uh, Bill, that we were referring to, the prayer book, uh, it, this was uh, an Eastern Orthodox, a Russian Orthodox prayer book that had a, a gold cross on the front, a small black book, but the cross was not your normal cross. It, had, it has three bars, not one. You know, and it's supposed to represent the, uh, the the sign on top of the cross when you see the uh, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Uticorum, the Romans put there, and then the footrest as well, tilted a little bit. Yeah. Th- that's an interesting little tradition. Uh, the, the thief yeah, on, on, yeah, the thief on Christ's right. You've seen the book. I've showed it to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- that would have looked weird to anybody to know what it was. And if you opened it up, you would find English on one side and Church Slavonic on another, written in the Cyrillic alphabet. So it would look very strange to anybody who didn't know what it was. 
And somehow in, it got garbled in translation that this was Sanskrit, as I understand it. Huh. That's what people thought. So anyway, they didn't know Sylvanic. Yeah, I, I, I don't even, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy ever even touched it. Yeah, uh, he might have just flipped it open there. and said, aha, yeah. you know. Yeah. Maybe the book was upside down. Yeah, anything like that, so who knows. But anyway, so uh, what other aspects of this case would you see as, as uh, urban legend or misinformation that kind of got started? Um, I, I would say the, the part about, um, you know, Marcy um, uh, being able to... Uh, you know, predict things through the cat. I mean, the the, the oh, other most cat. Good yeah, Lord. the the other the other famous uh, thing was guessing the officer's brother, and um, the officer covered his badge and said, uh, you know, does your cat know my name? And you know, because he had heard the rumors, and yeah. and you know, the, the police put her up to it. You know, they were standing around for hours, so they said, hey, when he comes over there, tell him, you know, have the cat say his brother is, you know, name is Frank. You know, and so. You know, Marcy did that, and, you know, the guy's got to laugh at it. And Marcy felt good. They were, you know, relating to her well and stuff, so she had a ball with that. And um, in the police interviews, Boyce, uh, you know, interviews the police officer that is telling the story how, yeah, we, we you know, we told Marcy to go do that. And uh, Boyce says, you know, well, you know, <laughs> what did he, what did the officer say when he found out that, you know, you, you were joking with him? And he said, well, we never told him. <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't know if they ever told him, but you know, as far as the interviews, and this interview uh, was taken, um, uh, I think it was in this. It was late December. Yeah, it was late December because the investigation started December 18th. So it was late December. They still hadn't told the police officer that um, that that they were messing with them. Yeah. Well, you know, they had so much fun with it. So, and, you know, and that story has survived to this day, and is, is spread that uh, you know that uh, Marcy psychic, that the cat psychic, that uh, you know the cat talked and predicted things. And, that was amazing. But it, was, it, it was interesting the audio phenomena and how it sometimes related to what was going on, like um, when Bob Pantano thought, and as, as well as a few police officers thought the cat cat said help and that was after marcy was through uh, was thrown you know against the wall um that's that happened next where they thought they heard the cat say of course we talked about this uh last time i was on and i do agree that uh, as ben said you know proximity effect you know you're blaming it on whatever is nearby just like outside they heard guttural sounds and they blamed it on the swans you know the swans are making guttural sounds you know um and we can't help it. That's what we do. That's why ventriloquism works. You know? Indeed. Uh, okay, uh, Bill, I'm going to uh, stop you again. And we have another Bill. Uh, Bill Smith from uh, the Exeter UFO Conference is uh, Festival is on the line. And we wanted to give him a chance to uh, say hello and to just uh, promote the event because we've got uh, it coming up on Saturday. So only a few days left. And Bill, stay on the Well, both Bills, stay on the line, please. For <laughs> Stereo Bills. So, so Bill, uh, Bill Smith, that is, tell us what's happening. Well, a lot of good things are happening. First and foremost, the weather's going to be in our favor, it appears, so that's, that's going to be good. I um, saw that hurricane, and I said, my gosh, talk about the story of our lives, but it uh, looks like that's not <laughs> going to happen. No, 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 not this time, anyhow. 
Well, we've got a, a great lineup of uh, speakers, as you know. Kendall Friedman has uh, recovered enough that he's uh, going to be here. It's great um, news. Richard Dolan, uh, Ryan Malahi, Bob Schroeder, uh, yourself and Ben uh, among our speakers. Um, you know, a great, uh, great lineup uh, raising uh, some uh, some money for local children's charities here at the fundraiser, and uh, trying to branch out a little bit, have some uh, other uh, family fun events for kids and, and stuff. So, uh, you know, food and t-shirts and hats, but uh, a great lineup of speakers and uh, some uh, some new uh, new lectures from some of the speakers as well. Well, yeah, our program is brand new. We've never given it before, and we're going to be telling a lot about this case in Connecticut that's going to blow people's socks off as far as the no. connections between UFOs, cryptids, ghosts. And we often talk about it on the show, but I think a lot of people have not, are not used to this concept and are really going to be amazed by, by a lot of the things we have to present, especially some of the photographs. So we're really looking forward to it, and we do emphasize. Bill, of course, is the uh, president of the uh, Exeter Kiwanis Club, and this is a charity event for local children's charities, and we're, we're really looking forward to it. And we encourage everybody to come on up. There, there are no, there's no cost to get into the lectures. There's no ticket sales. And um, so, Bill, just give us the times again, and, and uh, let's encourage people to go. It's pretty much uh, an all-day affair. We're going to be opening up the town hall at uh, 8 a.m. on uh, Saturday the 30th. That's this coming Saturday. And uh, we hope to have our first lecture going uh, at 8.30. And that'll and, be our good uh, friend Bob Schroeder. Yes, it will be. That is Bob. Bob's uh, leading off the lineup uh, on Saturday. And uh, we'll run uh, pretty much right through the day. Uh, last speaker uh, coming up at uh, 4 o'clock and around 5. And uh, give people an opportunity to uh, see a historic uh, downtown Exeter at the same time. And, uh, and you're right. And thank you for bringing that up. It, it is a, a free event for everybody, which is a relatively uh, unheard of these days. Yeah. It, so we are relying on that. Uh, Relying on the contributions of of the folks and uh, maybe buying a hot dog or a T-shirt or something that's that kind of the stand. Indeed, well, uh, many thanks to the Kiwanis Club, Bill yourself, and the town of Exeter. Uh, for that, uh, it's a great venue. The town hall is very quaint. It's lovely, and there's plenty of room, and a lot of things be going on. A lot of local merchants are involved. And uh, just tell us uh, also, there are some events uh, the previous evening and even uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, what's going on there? Absolutely. Uh, we we're kicking it off uh, this uh, Thursday evening uh, with a, uh, an outdoor uh, movie, uh, Swayze Parkway, which is a little greenway along uh, the uh, river here in town. Uh, one of those uh, inflatable screens, two and a half stories tall. And uh, it's, uh, I'm told uh, because of uh, trade rights or copyrights, I can't reveal the name of the movie, but it's a family-friendly sci-fi uh about an alien who's kind of stuck here on Earth and wants to phone home. Oh, see, I could never guess what that is. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Well, Bill, is there uh, anything so else? That, that, yeah, and then uh, Friday night uh, we're going to do some uh, cosmic uh, bowling uh, at the Exeter Bowling Links here in town and uh, some uh, lights and black lights and, and, and such and uh, some live entertainment. Uh, so we're, we're doing that uh, I've been told uh, any uh, earthlings uh, showing up in the costume could get a discount on the air bowling. And, uh, and then that, that all leads right into, uh, into Saturday. Uh, for, for some of the younger folks who may not be all that interested in what the uh, speakers have to say during the day, we have some arts and crafts things going on over at uh, Founders Park next to our uh, library. 
and uh, live entertainment uh, going on as well. So uh, Very good. A little bit of something for everybody. Excellent. Well, Bill, we'll look forward to seeing you this weekend as the Exeter UFO Festival, Exeter, New Hampshire, not all that far from where we are, folks. And it'll be going on all day Saturday, center of town and town hall, and it's going to be a great time. Bill, we'll look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Same here, Paul. Have a good day. Thank you. Very good. Now, bill number one here, bill number two, whichever. <laughs> What's behind bill number yeah. two? Okay, we've, sure uh, we've only got one more minute. So, Bill, why don't you tell us once again uh, your website and where people can get the book. And, again, that September event in Milford, Connecticut. Um, yes, worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. All my events are listed uh, there also, a uh, whole schedule. And uh, September 6th, I'll be in the... Uh, Paranormal Books and Curiosities in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and September 7th will be Milford, Connecticut, Barnes & Noble, uh, but there's all sorts of events on the website, um, uh, so check it out, and uh, also on the website, it'll, it'll have all the links to where you can get the book, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, your independent bookseller, uh, in stores as well as uh, online. And we must not forget September 20th. The True Paranormal oh, Event right. 2014, a celebration of advanced understanding in the paranormal. Tickets are only $15, and that includes food. Can't go wrong with that. Times are 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Brookline Event Center, Brookline, New Hampshire. Uh, ben and I will present a program, as well as Bill himself will be there. And uh, th- this Bill, that is. <laughs> Shane Searway of TrueGhost.com, who's organizing the event, and also speaking... Of course, uh, I think I think it's probably about it for the speakers, but it's uh, it's going to be really great. And Bill, we'll uh, we'll probably see you before that. But uh, thanks for a very interesting show, and we'll Indeed. have you on again because this is this case is a deep well. Oh yeah, it seems like it keeps yeah. growing. Yeah, always have. I, I'm calling it the Roswell of haunted houses. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it seems like the same thing, you know. It explodes and then. Weather no bodies, though, at least not yet, <laughs> fortunately. All right. Yes. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, we'll uh, have you back soon. All right. Good talking to you guys. Very everyone. good. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye. Okay. So, again, that's September 20th, folks, the Brookline Event Center, Brookline, New Hampshire. And uh, you can check. There's a link to that on our site, BehindTheParanormal.com. Check it out. And after that, there will be uh, one more event for which we'll be raffling off tickets on the air, and that's the second New England UFO Conference on October 17th and 18th at the uh, City Hall in Lemonster, Mass. So my dad and I, along with uh, many prominent UFO experts you've heard on this show, will be speaking there. And that is on, and on September 22nd, we will raffle off a family pack of tickets on the show, as we did last year, and the site is... Uh, neufoconference.vpweb.com There's a link to that at Behind the Paranormal also. Uh, to enter the contest, send an email to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or events at behindtheparanormal.com or drop us a snail mail here at Behind the Paranormal, care of, care of uh, WON 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Please include your full name, address, and phone number. There are links to that at BehindTheParanormal.com. And also at that website, there are nearly uh, 600 free podcasts, that is free, uh, of past shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Also check out our main site, www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where you can find case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. And I've written a few books myself. You can find them at Barnes & Noble. Dot com, certainly Amazon.com, all those great places. 
Any bookstore can order them. Uh, Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader and Amazon Kindle e-reader, you can get them there too. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will autograph them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to the several charities that Ben and I have adopted, including the ones we mentioned uh, earlier, and uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles especially. So next Monday, September 1st, here on WON 1240 and on Worldwide.com, we will uh, rebroadcast our February 3rd show on... Uh, exoplanets and UFOs and uh, the multiverse with astronomer uh, Mark D'Antonio. And we leave you this evening with a long but very sobering thought from 1887 and Alexander Tyler, a professor at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Quote, Democracy is always temporary. It will continue to exist until voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that every democracy will finally collapse over loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by dictatorship, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And on that note, thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.